Part three, chapter thirteen of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter thirteen. One evening, when the old countess, in nightcap and dressing sack, with her false curls removed, and with one thin strand of white hair escaping from under her white calico cap, was performing the low obsciences of her evening devotions on a rug, sighing and groaning, the door of her room creaked on its hinges, and Natasha came running in, with her bare feet in slippers, and also in a dressing jacket and curl papers. The countess glanced around, and a frown passed over her face. She went on repeating her last prayer. If this couch become my tomb. Her devotional frame of mind was destroyed, however. Natasha, with rosy cheeks, and full of animation, when she saw that her mother was saying her prayers, suddenly paused, made a curtsy, and involuntarily poked out her tongue to express her annoyance at her carelessness. Then, perceiving that her mother still went on with her devotions, she ran to the bed on her tiptoes, kicked off her slippers, by rubbing one dainty little foot against the other, and sprang into that couch which the countess was so afraid would be her tomb. This couch was a lofty feather-bed, with five pillows, each smaller than the other. Natasha jumped into the middle, sinking deep into the feather-mattress, rolled over next to the wall, and began to creep under the bedclothes, snuggling down, tucking her knees up to her chin, then giving animated little kicks, and laughing almost aloud, now and again uncovering her head and looking at her mother. The countess finished her prayers, and with a stern face came to the bed, but seeing that Natasha's head was hidden under the bedclothes, she smiled her good, amiable smile. "'Nu, nu, nu,' said the mother. "'Can we talk now? Say yes,' cried Natasha. "'There, now, one kiss in thy neck, just one more, and that will satisfy me.' And she threw her arms around her mother, and kissed her under the chin. In her treatment of her mother, Natasha seemed to be very rough in her manner, but she was so dexterous and graceful that whenever she seized her mother in her arms, she always did it in such a way as not to hurt her or disturb her at all. "'Well, what have you to tell me to-night?' asked the countess, settling back upon the pillows and waiting until Natasha, rolling over and over, should cuddle down close to her, drop her hands, and become serious." These visits from Natasha, which took place every night before the Count came from his club, were a great delight to both mother and daughter. "'What is there to tell to-night? I want to speak to you about—' Natasha stopped her mother's mouth with her hand. "'About Boris? I know,' said she gravely. "'That's what made me come. No, but you tell me,' she took away her hand. "'Go on, Mamma. He's nice, isn't he?' "'Natasha, you are sixteen. At your age I was already married.' You say that Boris is nice. He is very nice, and I love him like a son. But what do you wish? You have entirely turned his head, that's evident. As she said this, the countess looked at her daughter. Natasha lay looking fixedly at one of the carved mahogany sphinxes which ornamented the bedposts. The countess could only see her daughter's profile. It seemed to her that the sweet face had a particularly grave and thoughtful expression. Natasha was listening and pondering. Well, what is it? You have entirely turned his head. What made you do so? What do you want of him? You know that you cannot marry him. Why not? asked Natasha, without altering her expression. Because he is very young, because he is poor, because he is a relative, because you yourself are not in love with him. How do you know I am not in love with him? I know. Now, this is not proper, darling. But if I am determined on it, began Natasha, do cease talking nonsense, said the countess. 
Yes, but suppose my mind is made up. Natasha, I am in earnest. Natasha did not allow her to finish. She seized the countess's plump hand and kissed it on the back, and then on the palm, then turned it over again and began to kiss it on the knuckle joint of each finger in succession, then on the middle joints, then again on the knuckles, repeating in a whisper, January, February, March, April, May. Tell me, Mamma, why don't you go on? Speak, said she, looking at her mother, who with affectionate eyes gazed at her daughter, becoming so engrossed in this contemplation that she forgot what she was going to say. It isn't proper, Dushamoya. People won't remember anything about your affection as children, but if he is seen to be so intimate with you now, it might injure you in the eyes of other young men who come to the house. And worst of all, it is torturing him all for nothing. Perhaps he might, by this time, have found some rich girl to marry, but now he is quite beside himself. Beside himself, repeated Natasha. I will tell you my own experience. I once had a cousin. I know, Kirill Matveyevich, but he is an old man, isn't he? He hasn't always been old. But see here, Natasha, I am going to talk with Boris. He must not come here so much. Why mustn't he, if he likes to? Because I know that this cannot come to any good end. How do you know? No, Mamma, you must not speak to him. What nonsense! exclaimed Natasha, in a tone of one who is about to be deprived of a possession. Well, I won't marry him, but do let him come, for he enjoys it, and so do I. Natasha looked at her mother with a smile. Not with any intentions, but this way, she repeated. What do you mean by this way, my dear? Yes, this way. It is perfectly understood that he is not to marry. Well, this way. Yes, this way, this way, repeated the countess, and she went into an unexpected fit of good-natured laughter, her whole body shaking, as old people will. Come, Mamma, stop laughing at me, cried Natasha. You make the whole bed shake. You're awfully like me. You laugh just as easily as I do. Do stop. She seized the countess's two hands, kissed the joint of the little finger of one of them, for June, and went on kissing July and August on the other hand. Mamma, but he's very... He's so very much in love. You think so, do you? Was anyone ever much in love with you? And he's very nice, very, very nice, isn't he? Only he's not quite to my taste. He's so narrow, just like the dining-room clock. You know what I mean, don't you? Narrow, you know, grayish and serene. What nonsense you do talk, exclaimed the countess. Natasha pursued. Don't you understand what I mean? Nikolenko would understand me. There's Buzakoy. He's blue, dark blue and red, and he is four-square. And are you coquetting with him, too? asked the countess, laughing again. No, he's a Freemason. I found it out. He is splendid, dark blue and red. How can I make you see it? Grafenyushka, little countess, aren't you asleep yet? cried the count at this moment at the door. Natasha jumped out of bed, seized her slippers in her hand, and escaped barefooted to her own room. It was long before she could go to sleep. She kept thinking how strange it was that no one could ever understand things as she understood them, or read what was in her mind. Sonya, she thought, gazing at the young girl who, with her tremendous long pigtail, lay asleep curled up like a little kitten. No, not even she. She is virtue itself. She is in love with Nikolenka, and that's all she cares about, and Mama can't understand, either. That is so strange, 
how intelligent she is and how she's pretty natasha went on speaking of herself in the third person and imagining that some very intelligent extraordinarily intelligent and most handsome man was saying this about her she has everything everything this man of her imagination was saying she is unusually intelligent lovable and pretty besides extraordinarily pretty and graceful she can swim she can ride horseback splendidly and what a voice one might say a marvellous voice she sang her favourite snatch from a cherubini opera then threw herself into bed smiling at the happy thought that she should be asleep in a moment called to dunyasha to put out the light and even before dunyasha had left the room she had already passed across into that other still happier world of dreams where all things were just as bright and beautiful as in reality but still more fascinating because so different on the next day the countess calling boris to her had a talk with him and from that time forth he ceased to be a frequent visitor at the rostovs End of chapter 13